Welcome to Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris from PleasureMechanics.com, and on this podcast, we have honest and explicit conversations about sex, pleasure, joy, and connection. Come on over to PleasureMechanics.com, where you will find all of the resources we have been generating for you since 2006. This is our 15th year in Pleasure Mechanics uniform, and we have been devoted exclusively to creating resources so you can explore more pleasure and joy on your own terms. You'll find our 400 plus podcast episodes organized for you by topic in our sex index, our eight online courses so you can explore new skills and build more erotic confidence in the privacy of your own home, and much more at pleasuremechanics.com. If you're new to the show, go to pleasuremechanics.com slash free and enroll in our free online course to get started right away. On today's episode, I am honored to be joined by not one, but two wise and wonderful guests. Joining us are the authors of the new book, With Pleasure, Managing Trauma Triggers for More Vibrant Sex and Relationships. Authors Jamila Dawson and August McLaughlin are here to talk to us about trauma, triggers, and what pleasure has to do with it as the pathway back to more loving, robust relationships, more pleasure and joy in our lives, and more feeling. How do we feel more in our lives as we manage the ongoing trauma of today's world and all that might have happened to us in the past? This is a really big topic and a charged one, but we approach it with a lot of love and curiosity on this episode, and we hope it invites you in to tending to this part of yourself more fully. After you listen to this episode, please visit the show notes page where you will find links to things like our free survivors toolkit, which is our free offering for all survivors of sexual trauma who are interested in finding pathways back to pleasure. You'll find follow-up podcast episodes so you can continue this conversation. And of course, you'll find links to this book and to Jamila and August's work so you can continue the conversation with our beloved guests as well. All right, so here is our conversation with Jamila Dawson and August McLaughlin about their new book, With Pleasure, Managing Trauma Triggers for More Vibrant Sex and Relationships. I am so grateful that this book is out in the world. I highly encourage you to get your hands on it, share it with those you love. Let us know what comes up for you so we can continue this conversation as we have for 15 years together here at PleasureMechanics.com. Again, if you're new to our community, welcome, and please go to pleasuremechanics.com slash free, where you will find ways to get started with us right away. And in the show notes page, you'll find ample links to follow up on this conversation. This conversation might bring up a lot, but remember, you are not alone in feeling these feelings. We are here for you, and you are part of a community that loves you and cares for you. All right, here is my conversation with Jamila and August about pleasure, trauma, and triggers. Here we go. Thanks for joining us on Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. 
welcome both of you to Speaking of Sex. I have been aware of your work in the world for so long, but this is the first time I've been in a room, virtual or otherwise, with both of you. So it's such a pleasure to be in conversation with you all about this important and sensitive topic that we're all going to hold with so much love for our listeners today. Can you both get us started by introducing yourself and the work you do in the world? And then we'll get to how you came to collaborate on this important book. Jamila, can you get us started? Sure. Uh, my name is Jamila Dawson. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist out here in California. Um, I have a private practice uh, called Fire and Flow Therapy. And uh, my expertise is around sexuality, um, trauma. I also love working with clients who are part of um, gender relationship or uh, sexual diversity. So folks into kink, folks who are polyamorous. Um, and uh, I've kind of straddled both those worlds um, myself. And um, I'm also a sex educator as well as a sex therapist. And so I like to hold the pleasure piece as well as the clinical piece. I'm really glad to be here today. Thank you. August? I'm August McLaughlin. I'm a health and sexuality writer, journalist, and podcaster. I host a show called Girl Boner Radio. And my sex education, sexual empowerment journey really is planted in um, my own personal um, journey to really embrace my sexuality which helped me move past a really severe eating disorder when I was working in the fashion industry many years ago. And so it's, it comes from a very personal place. And I started by sharing my own story. And so now I am so passionate about sharing other folks' stories and their voices. And Girl Boner is a narrative podcast. So I weave together stories and narration and um, also bring in my my journalism background to to educate through our our experiences. Thank you both. And so this book is called With Pleasure: Managing Trauma Triggers for More Vibrant Sex and Relationships. I love that title so much and I think we're going to spend most of the conversation today really working that title and looking at all of those words together and why those words specifically matter. But can you tell us how you came to collaborate on this book and why pleasure is in the title of a book about trauma and triggers? Mm. Well, we, um, I was a guest, uh, August was sweet enough to invite me um, on the Girl Boner podcast. And um, I had a great time. Um, like it was a great conversation but I usually go into uh, really kind of any professional circumstances, kind of, oh, I'm here to do the thing, have the best time I can, and then it's gone, poof, disappeared. And uh, which is what I went into. And, um, and then, we, like I said, we had a great time. And then a little bit later, I can't remember if it was a few months later, um, August asked me to write the foreword for this book idea that she had about pleasure and trauma. And I was like, oh, well, that's really very thoughtful. So I was like, sure. And then um, not too long after that, I got another email from August asking if I would consider co-writing. And um, that was a bigger ask because I had just gone through uh, a situation with another uh, white female sex educator um, in which there was a really racist uh, situation that happened. So I was in a friendship lost 
because of that. So I was in a very, um, frankly, traumatized place. And, um, but August showed up in this really phenomenal way that allowed me to soothe and calm and like, let me take the next step forward. And so we did. Hmm. Yeah. And, and here we are. And that's everything about the content of this book, right? Um, and I want to dive into some of these words, because when we talk about trauma, uh, we're not just talking about sexual assault. We're not just talking about sexual trauma. We're talking about living within the systems of oppression that all of us live in, and it affects us differently. Um, so your experience with a friend and that betrayal, you named it as a trauma. Um, so can you take us into that word, maybe trauma, um, how you define it? And we're speaking right now to about 11,000 listeners all around the world. Um, is it fair to say we're all impacted by trauma and how do we kind of account for the differences then within that? Take us into this really big word trauma, please. <laughs> right. August, do you want to go first? or I Go for it. Go? I actually, honestly, so much of the way that I frame um, trauma and comes from what I've learned in our, my conversations with Jamila. So I'd love it if you would share because I will be attempting to reiterate <laughs> what you have shared with me. Yeah, it's, and thank you, Chris, for talking about that. I think we do need to talk about trauma as a global phenomenon. Um, the histories of colonialism and imperialism, genocide, um, the, the very real um, environmental trauma that is happening um, and has been happening. So this, like, this is happening to our bodies um, through generations. And so I, I want people to understand that trauma is um, not a one-time event only, um, that it is and can be systemic, environmental, historical. Um, and what it really is, is this like stuckness of um, the body in usually like kind of four states, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Um, but also just a, a chronic state of unsafety, hypervigilance, um, despair, resignation. Um, and I don't really know anybody whose lives has not been touched in some way by trauma. What I'm excited and wanting for people is for it to become um, more of a conversation of how does trauma actually work in the body? Um, and then culturally speaking, what are the, the solutions? Every culture actually already has the solutions. That's what's really exciting. Every culture has some element of pleasure, some history of um, eroticism, which is not just sexual, and eroticism itself is healing. And so the answers are not, like an American answer is not gonna be um, like an, a Nigerian answer or a Cameroonian answer or a Pacific Islander answer but I think the, the DNA will. I think the DNA um, of eroticism and um, mm. pleasure and connection, every culture has that. And so that I think can be transferred and the solutions will come from that. Mm. Yeah, so well So said. much there, thank you. Yeah. And what does that say to, can August maybe speak to, um, as you were experiencing trauma and the lived experience of it and how mm -hmm. it shows up for different folks, um, 
How did you come to center the body in your explorations? And what are some of the ways that we can think about both the individual experience of trauma, like trauma for me is this, but then also the social experience of trauma? What does it do to our relationality and our ability of being in our body with other bodies? Mm. These are big questions, folks. And we're just going to acknowledge all of these questions <laughs> are all like <laughs> too big for the container. Yes. Um, oh. I love it. And there's going to be resources in the show notes page. I'll say that again and again, but take us into that, the body and its relationship with Mm. other bodies. Uh, Yeah, such a powerful, meaningful question. And certainly is something that I am continually learning about. I think for me personally, you mentioned how I'd feel it in, in my body. I, it took me a long time to even have some sense of what it meant to be in my body. It sounded like this concept I couldn't grasp. And I kept feeling triggered. This was several years ago before uh, the book idea came up. Um, and I knew that something's happening in my brain. Like that, that was a easier thing for me to grasp was, yes, I feel that. Like there's a neuro- neurological thing happening. Um, something kind of switches in me and and I go to one of those fight, flight, freeze or fawn responses and all these different things happen. And so I'd read all about the brain and I was trying to like brain my way through all of this. And it actually for me was during EMDR where I had a huge, huge epiphany um, and healing moment. So for anyone who's not familiar EMDR is, they call it like the eye movement um, therapy where for me it was watching um, uh, like a dot move across the screen um, and you follow it with your eyes. And my therapist also um, worked with somatics. And so it was a blend of um, learning to really hone in on my body and then also essentially kind of being triggered on command in a safe space instead of it just coming up out of nowhere. Um And there was this moment, oh my goodness, just, I think it was one of the most powerful moments in my life really, where we were deep into the stages of EMDR. So going, you know, really into the most difficult, I think she was calling them images at the time. It's like these little snapshots that are very traumatic um, for, for the person. And it felt like, Like she was having me, she's like, okay, feel that, go deeper into that. What is your body feeling? And I felt, it felt like a surge moving up through my body. I felt kind of nauseated and I, I literally felt a release. It felt like it flew out of my eyeballs. Like I, I cried, but it was almost like projectile. Like it really felt like a force coming out. And afterward I felt just this incredible, incredible release. And I remember my therapist saying, you've been needing to let that go. You've been needing to feel that for a long time, haven't you? Like you've been carrying that for a long time. And it hadn't occurred to me how much early childhood trauma um, was impacting me because I I kept thinking of like the more recent things, you know, Um, And it just felt like this opening for a lot of self-compassion because I started to see this this little girl who was in so much pain and wanting to work with her and embrace her. And 
before that, I mean, sometimes in therapy sessions, I don't think I could even feel my legs. I mean, literally, if someone says, be in your body, I probably would have then said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm totally in my body. Like, of course, I'm in my body. My body's right here. But it's a different thing to actually feel, like physically feel what is happening in your body and to pay attention to it, like to, instead of trying to talk yourself out of it, somehow I think we get this idea, at least in our culture here, that if we fight these physical feelings, if I ignore this nauseated feeling, if I ignore this this tremor of fear in my chest or whatever it is, that we will, again, brain our way through. <laughs> and it doesn't work that way. Like we actually have to feel the emotional feelings, the physical feelings. Um, and then the the second part of your your question about how all of this interplays with socializing and our relationships, I mean, it's 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 so profound. Um, certainly, I know I felt really isolated when I was feeling triggered frequently. All of the survivors I interviewed for this book shared similar things where, they felt so much shame around their feelings and inevitably the things that helped they would all share on their own were both kind of these practices of pleasure and community support. Every, nobody gets through any of this or manages well all on their own. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> um, yeah. And so it's really meaningful. Every, every connection is so impactful when they're supportive. Before we continue the conversation about pleasure and its role in managing trauma, I want to give a quick shout out to the sponsor of this episode, likeakitten.com. At likeakitten.com, you can curate your own selection of sensual tools to bring more pleasure into your life. At likeakitten.com, you have the opportunity to build your own box of pleasure tools at an incredible deal. For just 69 bucks, you get to choose one item from each of six categories. Pleasure toys, beauty products, lube, games, sexy accessories, and lingerie. Just the process of looking through the menu of beautiful options is a pleasure practice. Take your time and notice what excites you or intrigues you. Your selection will arrive in a gift-ready box, ready to share with a lover or unwrap as a luxurious gift to yourself. You are already getting a great deal with these boxes, but right now, likeakitten.com is offering our listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com and enter the code PLEASURE at checkout. Go to likeakitten.com, use the code PLEASURE to get 20% off these incredible boxes of pleasure tools. You'll also find the link in the show notes. Big thanks to likeakitten.com for sponsoring this episode. And now on with the conversation with our guests, Jamila and August. Jamila, can you take us a little bit more into this connection of feeling our feelings and how we bridge this idea of managing trauma and triggers with coming into our own pleasure and joys. What is the bridge there of feeling? Yeah, that I think kind of adding on to what August just said that in, in American culture, there is this um, very just binary thinking, right? In all the ways. And um, 
that it's if I feel good, then I've got to stay feeling good. And also you, you don't want to feel anything bad, right? That it's pursuit of happiness, all only good, no bad. And feelings do not work that way. Humans do not work that way. And we were given these incredible bodies that feel a range of things for a purpose. And emotional pain is just as important as physical pain. We would never break a leg and be like, oh, you should just walk that off. Or I'm sure if you just think it hard enough, it'll heal. Like, no, we would. But there's something about emotional pain where we're much um, where we're trying to kind of skip over it um, and wrestle it and master it. And we've certainly seen where that's taken us as a culture. And so um, so there's that piece of we need the range of feelings, including pain, including distress, including anger, fear. Those are signals to pay attention to. Um, then we have the other cool thing about bodies. And I, I've started saying mind bodies to, to train myself out of that binary. People's like, my mind or my body. I'm like, nope, mind body, mind body. Um, and the body mind can't really do um, two things at the same time. Some people say they're multitasking. I'm like, no, you're not living really any part of your life. And honestly, whatever productivity you're doing is probably not as like fulfilling and nourishing. Uh, so I like I will take on these kind of like shibboleths of our culture. I'm like, no. Mm -mm. So, um, but what's really cool? So the mind can't really focus on more than one thing at a time. And so, if you're feeling these distressing feelings honoring what's happening, breathing, tending to them, and then using pleasure to kind of move out of that place, not to eradicate it, but to move out of it um, is, I mean, it's the only thing I found that makes sense. Um, and again, because the, the mind also doesn't do absences, like if I get, everybody knows that like, if I say, don't think of the, the huge purple hippopotamus, the mind's like, right, there is the not purple hippopotamus. We can't do a not thing. And so when we, we have this entire mental health um, structure that's built on like reducing symptoms, we want symptom reduction, but that's not a life. And so um, if we aim for pleasure, that's now, again, the brain is like, oh, the body's like, okay, there's a place to go. Not a non thing, but a, a thing. And a thing that actually changes our body, changes our mind, um, and makes pleasure and connection more and more possible built on itself. So that's, to me, those are those two pieces. And we're talking about pleasure, you know, and we've been pleasure mechanics for 15 years now talking about prioritizing pleasure, pleasure as a pathway. And sometimes in our conversations, yes. when we talk to folks, um, they come to realize that pleasure itself is elusive, that even when they're sitting in their own kitchen with a cup of tea, the experience of pleasure can be elusive and hard to grasp. Um, mm -hmm. We recently did an episode called Before Pleasure Comes Safety, and we'll drop that episode link in the show notes page. But I'd love to hear what you've discovered about the relationship between safety as an embodied physical experience and the ability to experience pleasure, let alone arousal. What's the role mm -hmm. of safety mm -hmm. in this? And what does safety really mean in this kind of unsafe world? 
Yeah, it's um, such an important question. Um, I say like, I, I when I'm working with my clients, I will never say um, like in any of my promotional literature, I never say I create a safe space. Again, I'm like, nope, I will not lie to my clients. This is not a safe world and I cannot guarantee safety. But what I do try to do is create safe enough. And safe enough is a place to stand enough to try to find the next thing. And so if people can think about safe enough, and sometimes safe enough um, and pleasure can be the reduction of pain. Sometimes it won't be an active, I feel better. It can simply feel, I don't feel as bad. And so I want people to um, expand I want to invite them to expand their ideas of what pleasure is. Um, and again, am I safe enough in this moment? Um, and, you know, with some of my clients will ask, we'll do grounding exercises. And I'll do, and I'll do the same with myself of in this moment, I'm safe enough to say like in Monday, October 4th, in this time, in this place, I'm safe enough. And so it's, it really is that, um, how do we, again, I, I keep thinking of kind of a, a patch of garden, um, patch of ground that will grow. I think that's the thing I want people to know that the mind really does and the body does focus on the that which it is given. Um, and that's not to say ignoring what's out there, absolutely not. It's saying this is absolutely out there. And so how do I create oases for myself and other people? Beautiful. Mm. August, what have you discovered about safety in your experience of seeking mm. pleasure and opening up more to pleasure? What's safety have to do with it? Yeah. For you? Mm. I love what uh, Jamila said about safe enough and this idea of expanding our definitions of, of pleasure. Because um, certainly I know that I used to see pleasure in very specific limited ways. And it's been really powerful for me um, and both in my experience and then hearing about other folks' experiences of how seemingly, I don't want to use the word simple because I feel like that kind of um, undercuts the value, but it doesn't have to be these huge, grandiose, um, you know, efforts or um, kind of depictions of what, what pleasure can be. So for example, one thing that helps me feel safe is, is movement. And so I've noticed that when I feel triggered, something that helps me be open to pleasure and to feel very safe, which for me is very intertwined. I, I don't, especially when I'm triggered, like I, I need to feel safer <laughs> first before I can actually experience pleasure. It kind of goes to the, um, the not being able to multitask uh, point that Jamila brought up. Like, how can you feel, you know, completely like your life is at risk, like having that really strong, strong trigger and also feeling pleasure. Like those two things don't coexist. And so um, something that's very helpful for me and helps me feel a bit safer is just walking slowly around the backyard or we have um, some little porch swings here and just swinging and just having a little bit of movement movement and feeling the the fresh air um, can be helpful. I've also been really struck by um, you know the ways that we can use all of our senses to create something that feels safer for us. So 
uh, even when Jamil and I were working on this book, we were talking about how can we, you know, bring pleasure into these conversations we're having with folks or when we're going through the difficult parts of writing a difficult book in a difficult time, it might be a, a blanket that feels really soothing or delicious. Um, it might be a beverage. It might be a smell. So I do think that just, even just considering the senses can be helpful in those times because um, it, it's sort of like when someone says, think of your favorite movie and you can't think of anything. When you're trying to think of something that will help you feel safer it can feel like this complete unknown. But when you go, oh, my senses, like what would what would taste soothing to me right now? What would what would feel good on my skin? It can be something that is right within reach for you. I want to explore this word trigger. Um, it's a word that we're coming to use more and more, but a lot of folks um, may have a, a limited or specific understanding of what triggers look like and what they feel like. Um, why did you choose to focus the book around the concept of triggers? Um, can you talk to us a little bit about this word specifically and how folks can kind of start to identify what that looks like and feels like for themselves? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Um, the The idea and the reason to, to explore triggers, where that came from, was my own, again, fascination with what's going on in the brain when I had been going through this difficult time. I, I essentially was having like PTSD flare-ups and not knowing what they were for a year off and on. And um, so I wanted to understand more about what this what this was that's happening. I'm I'm a writer, so I that's how I explore things. I I write and I talk to people. And so it made sense for me to do that. And increasingly, especially once Jamila came in, it became very clear that we wanted pleasure to be at the forefront, not as this thing over here that may or may not come up, that we really wanted to explore um, that that relationship. So um, I'll let Jamila talk about what actually triggered um, means. I, I do, I do want to mention that the term has been really kind of co-opted and misused and used to make fun of people and then, and also used as kind of like a oh, I'm so triggered because I saw a commercial about a food I don't like. Or, you know, like people use it in really insulting ways and then they use it in ways where they've come to, to kind of interpret it as like, oh, I'm a little bit annoyed. And I remember being in therapy and my therapist said she was the first person to use triggered about what I had been experiencing initially. And it felt so validating and then a friend of mine said, I, I don't like the word triggered. It sounds so violent. And when I mentioned that to my therapist, she said, well, does it feel violent to you when this happens? And I said, uh, a thousand percent. This is, this is not just like a, oh, that's annoying. <laughs> this is, I've, I, I do, I feel threatened. And so um, I do think it's a, an important term, but one that gets misconstrued a lot. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think it's, I'm glad that the word is out there. Um, and there isn't that word, there's that that sense of um, threat and intensity. And also, again, when like something, when you pull the trigger, like the it goes, right? The bullet goes and it's gone. There's not, um, this isn't sort of triggered or almost like it is an immediate event. 
And um, when we are triggered, that's exactly what happens. The body is off and running to protect us. Um, and so that, again, can either be that fight response, that flight response, that freeze response, or that fawn response. It is in that moment, all that matters is do the thing to get us to the next moment alive. Not happy, not content, not okay, just alive. And so um, I really do want people to understand it as a physiological event that's occurring when we're triggered. Um, but it can't last forever. If it does, then we're like dumping a bunch of cortisol in our system and we can't, again, can't really live that way. Um, and so that slowing down, the tending, the pleasure is kind of that antidote to not stay in that place all the time. Um, but again, I do, I, when I'm working with folks, uh, I'll try to, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm a writer really, which is why it's strange. I was in the shower thinking like, oh, I'm not a writer who co-wrote a book. Um, but I am a voracious reader and words and books have saved my life. And so um, to me, every word is a book. So you gotta be careful about like the, the word books that you use. So when I'm working with folks, I'll give them a range of um, words to see which really kind of fits. What is the, the story that really fits what they're after? So triggered has a, a specific meaning, but I'll also use terms like activated, agitated, upset, and I want people to, um, not in a, a prescriptive policing way of like use the right term, it's more like you've got your 64 Crayola box and like use the color that really is right for you. So if you're agitated, that's, that is a thing that's legitimate. You say that. If you're activated, say that. If you're triggered, say that. But if you're upset or annoyed or uncomfortable, say that because i'll see that a lot in um kind of social justice spaces and sex positive spaces where we'll kind of default to the most uh kind of known but also extreme term when really what's happening is like i'm there's some range of discomfort or upset and so it's again critical for the body and the mind to know like okay it's this not this because each one deserves a different response and as I'm hearing you say that, I'm feeling into how much power and personal power there is in that knowing of our systems, legitimizing our full range of feelings, being able to express what we're feeling, and this connection of coming into our personal power again after trauma and its connection with pleasure is so potent. And it's throughout this book. One of the things I love about the book is it evokes the stories of many survivors of many different kinds of trauma and points to the sense that we all have different pathways forward. And one of the words you use, and it's in the title, is managing trauma triggers rather than healing or overcoming. So why managing? And when we notice that there's so many different ways of managing, what are some of those things have in common? Like what are the themes and the commonalities in the ways we survivors manage our triggers and traumas? August, do you wanna? Sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I think we, again, in our culture have this idea that we can cure this problem. We can fix this problem. We can go to a therapist and ask for emotional surgery and be done and 
it's fine now. Like, um, I certainly wanted that. Like, I want to know how I don't have to ever feel this again. I don't want to learn how to manage it. I want to learn how to like, it's yesterday, it's over, I'm on with my life. And so um, as as difficult as that concept was for me to grasp and embrace at first, when I realized that that doesn't happen, you may be triggered off and on or activated off and on for the rest of your life, which is a hard thing to hear when you're in pain. Um, it's actually become something that allows me to give myself grace because I realize most of us are managing some kind of trauma. Um, managing to me says that we do our best in the now, in whatever is happening. And my favorite part of that is that not only does it allow ourselves, I think, to give ourselves more compassion, hopefully, but also um, over time, it, it allows the triggered episodes and the activated episodes to become less intense, less debilitating because of that grace that we give ourselves. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. There's not that. Um, the managing is, for me, it's a word that that holds that there's going to be movement over time and that it's not, um, there's not that expectation of if you can't do it fin- like final done, um, then you're failing. Cause I think so often so many people, uh, feel like they're failing at their wellness and failing at the sex life that they want, failing at the body they want. And, that just that does not help one's spirit to feel like you're you're not that there is something to attain and that you are not attaining it. And so managing to me, I, I think of you know a leaf on a river. I think of a, a boat at sea. Of like you are there's wind and there's the current and there's going to be storms, but that you keep like navigating your boat. And so there and you have a journey along the way. You have a life along the way. And I think when if we just keep it in that kind of healed or not healed, people, I mean, we're all busy. We're all, we're all trying to survive a pandemic. And even if there wasn't pandemic, we'd be just surviving the systemic oppression. And so it's you can't concentrate on just one thing, um, like healing for your entire life. It's ugh. <laughs> I just I literally get claustrophobic <laughs> thinking about it. So so the managing um, really kind of held that that dynamic piece for us. Um, and then of course we really you know we both work around sexuality, and most people want who most people who are interested in sex want not just like a sex life but a vibrant sex life. And um, again, that's where both of us really like to push against. Um, just having sex, like just eating whatever, like that's, I mean, you can do that, but why? Like you can have yumminess and um, why not go for that? So that's, we really, we wanted that title um, to really capture movement. And all of the the folks in the book, which I, I still just, every time we think about our, our contributors, I just overwhelmed with um, admiration and excitement and this like fierce protectiveness of what they 
have survived and that they're just doing their lives. Um, so the the different ways, um, as August said, there's community has been for all of them. It was some relationship or series of relationships um, and that it wasn't just a mental health provider. It wasn't just a psychiatrist, nor was it just um, friends or family. It was different kinds of people that created this kind of um, community of wellness, community of pleasure, even if they were not connected. Um, but that that person was the linchpin for this community of pleasure that helped them shift, move, survive, and then ultimately live. So beautiful. And really taking in there that that pleasure and the lusciousness and the connection can happen within these storms right? It's not a destination right. we have to get to to deserve pleasure again. Is such an important reminder for folks. Um, thank you both so much. As we close here, I want to um, speak to the cyclical, spiraling, onion-like nature of working with trauma and triggers, of finding pleasure, when we asked our community what their questions about this book were, um, so many folks spoke to the idea that once they felt safer, whether it's in a relationship or a great new job or they made a big move, as soon as something feels right in their life, trauma seems to rebloom again. And so how do we account for that um, kind of the spiraling nature of this journey? You called it a journey on the boat. And that's so right. Like, um, how do we find that grace for ourselves when it feels like, oh, I thought I was through this and here I am again. Right. And I, it's, there is that piece. And, and I think one of the reasons we're, we're really proud of the book is to give people information about how trauma works. Um, that it is, it actually does spring up when we are feeling safer. Um, and by safer, like when those, um, those kind of basic things are taken care of. Like we have a, a house, you know, and by a house, like a, a safe place to lay our heads at night when we're in a relationship that's kind of safer than anything we've had before. That it's, a, I think of trauma kind of like a frozenness. And um, when we have achieved some kind of safety, it starts to thaw. Because again, like when we're in that, that triggered place, the body is only concerned with like, we got to survive. We want to survive, we want to survive, we want to survive. Not happy, not okay just survival. And so all of the, the feelings are frozen. And in all of the that embodied stuff, the nausea, the, the agitation, the, um, the constant looking around, all of that is kind of frozen until there's a safe enough place. And then the body can kind of like, okay, now we can like, feel that, get it out. And so that's why when you know, you're in that new job, like a little bit more money, that relationship, up comes the stuff. And I want people to realize like, that's not a failure. That's actually an achievement. It's not fun. It is not fun, but it's actually achievement of like, this is proof that some level of safety has been attained. And so now work with it, tend to the thing that couldn't be tended to before. And as you tend to it, it will move and shift. And I think, um, I try to give my myself and my clients this idea of an upward spiral, that if you look at a spiral from straight down, it's a circle. But when you're in a spiral, 
you're actually moving. And even when you're like facing it, it will look like you're looking at the same thing over and over again. But what's actually happening is a slightly different perspective as you move up that spiral. To me, that is life itself. Yes. And if you look, it's not an accident. That, that shape is everywhere in life. To remind you, it is, we are in this upward spiral. Um, I mean, I could say more and more about that, but I just like keep upward spiral and have your life and have your storms and then have like your planting time. The book is so full of this compassionate wisdom. Thank you, both of you, for pouring so much into this book, for pouring the voices of so many survivors into this book. There will be links to the book in the show notes page. Um, there's so much we haven't talked about, how to support partners in these relationships, how to work when you're both triggered in different directions, right? There's so much here and there's so much more in the book and in the resources both of you consistently create in this world. So thank you for doing all of you what you do in this world. Folks can find more in the show notes page. Can you end our conversation today with a hope or a blessing for folks as they're feeling into the tenderness of this topic and choosing to turn towards their tenderness? Um, what are your parting words for them and kind of a, a benediction upon folks as we close our conversation today? Wow. Um, I think that it's really powerful to give yourself permission to start where you are and to remind yourself that where you are is where you are. There's no, is it my fault that I'm this way? Is it bad? Is it good? Did I fail? Am I moving? You know, just wherever you are, um, seeing that as a, as a starting place again and again, like this perpetual renewal, all of these chances to turn toward that tenderness um, every single time it's helpful. And it it sucks that it hurts. And it's okay to feel that suckiness of it, <laughs> to feel like, uh, it it's it's awful. None of us want to feel that pain. Um and every single time that we do and offer ourselves that instead of shaming ourselves is so nourishing and strengthening. And it's another chance to not to get it right. There is no right. Um, it's about really embracing this, this journey and seeing healing not as a destination, but as a, a journey and one that you can really befriend yourself through. I was I a long time ago got very comfortable with myself in terms of like oh I'm really angry and fierce and that's not bad even though that's so much of what I was told um and so I have this really fierce and angry stance so like I'm angry about people being scared and angry about people being traumatized um and so um in some ways, all of my work has come from me saying like, no to the culture. Like, no, you're wrong. No, you're a liar. No, that doesn't serve me. No, like, no, like there's gotta be something else because this is some horseshit. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot yeah. to ask if we could swear. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, and so I guess I want to gift people like that 
that no, and then that yes of you are already legitimate. If you can keep practice keeping promises to yourself and then practice keeping promises to other people and leveraging your own creativity, that's what pleasure, like healing from, from trauma, like all of that comes from your creativity, your inner innate can't be truly taken magnificence. Like you will never exist like this again. And I fiercely, I'm just like, I will remind you of how magnificent you are. I will not let you forget. And so that I want to give people, I guess, like my anger, my outrage of like, you are magnificent and legitimate. And I need for me, for my clients, I need you to keep doing that. That's it. You are magnificent. You are a blessing, both of you upon this earth. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. This yeah, thank you, Chris. I wonderful. just really, wonderful. really respect everything you do. It's been wonderful. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. I hope it was a tender and loving invitation for you to continue on your process of managing your own trauma, your own triggers, and coming into a more vibrant relationship with your sexuality and with others. You'll find a ton of resources in the show notes page, including our free survivors toolkit, which is our offering to you of some of the modalities and resources that have helped us along the way of managing our trauma. You'll find links to buy the book and explore August and Jamila's amazing work in the world and follow up podcast episodes so you can continue on this conversation with us. We will be back with you next week with another episode of Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast app. It really helps get the word out. And come visit us at pleasuremechanics.com. I'm Chris from pleasuremechanics.com, wishing you a lifetime of pleasure. Cheers. Cheers.